Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Now, Ezekiel 16, remember where we left off. In your mind, you got to remember that God is judging Israel. Okay, God is just bringing his judgment in Israel. In chapters 11 through 15 last week, we saw this slow, almost reluctant withdrawal from the glory of God from the temple. It's, it gives this picture, if you will, like he's not wanting to leave. He's, he, he wants to be amongst his people, but they are so much in abomination. They just have so much idol worship. They are so much in disobedience. That, the, that God is like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this reluctant away. And so as I was thinking about that and pondering it over and over, the question that we have tonight is, why? Like, why do we see God moving away just in hopes that we'll repent and return to him? And I started to think about that. Why do we see God slowly moving away in hopes that we'll repent and return to him? Well, simply put, the people of Israel, the leaders, were committing adultery in their worship of God. They were committing adultery. You see, they were doing things in the dark, thinking that the Lord doesn't see. And again, that's always going to catapult you and I as believers to do these things. And I want to break it down just a little bit, because I want to show you back in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 6, just a few pages back, Ezekiel writes, and he says, furthermore, he said to me, the Lord is speaking, son of man, do you see what they're doing? Great, great uh, abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again and you will see even a greater abomination. So in Ezekiel 8, 6, he says this, do you see what they're doing? You see, this is what's causing me to back away. And if you move a little further in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, and he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols, for they say, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken his land. Now, let's chat for just a moment before we jump into chapter 16. In the Old Testament here, God has has pronounced that Israel is his wife. You need to understand it. Israel is the wife of God. You and I today, we're known as the bride of Christ, okay? So so you've got Israel, the wife, you and I are the bride. We're going to be grafted in. Romans tells us we're grafted into the vine to become one with Israel. So where it gets personal is that we too can have a slow withdrawal from the presence of God in our lives. And again, we need to be reminded this is not a salvation issue, but a relationship issue. Let me paint this picture for you. You give your life to the Lord. Praise God, I believe in him. And he radically changes your heart, your thinking, your mind, your praying, your worshiping. Life is really good. And somehow along the line, you've been saved 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And all of a sudden, you kind of feel like you're dry. I'm dry. Oh, am I dry? I just feel like I'm dry, Lord. I feel like I'm going through a desert. And then he says, hey, listen, there's, there's been a slow removal. I still love you. You're still saved. But there's, it's not a salvation. It's a relationship issue. And you go, well, what, what changed? Well, I wonder 
because we know from the text that Israel was dabbling, if you will, and I don't know if that's the right word, but dabbling in the things that are not pleasing to God. They were dabbling in these things. And he asks us to repent, but we sort of justify our sin. And in a beautiful way, the Lord's heart says, he begs us and he begins to back away. And well, we wake up one morning and we find ourselves just far from God, just far from God. So many times, church, listen, we'll be convicted of this. Oh, man, I'm here at church. It's Wednesday night. Yes, I need to. Okay, Lord, what's going on? And, and, and so we'll start, we'll start to repent only to stop short and resume right where we left off. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, think about this. Let me give you two main reasons. This is found in what we've studied so far. Two main reasons for this. You go, what are they? Okay, jot this down. Number one, if we're being honest in church, we, like Israel, are doing things in the dark where we believe no one can see. And I don't mean you're going, your wife's in the kitchen and you go in the closet and there you are in the closet and you're going, ooh, I'm going to do something that's not pleasing to the Lord. I'm, I think the darkness is in your heart. You're doing things in your heart where, where, where your wife or, or those around you can't see. And, and we have become very good, church, at hiding things from others. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, brother. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Bless the Lord. And, and, and we're hiding it. And, and what we forget, like Israel did, is, is that God sees everything. God sees everything. And, and here's what breaks my heart, is because God sees everything and it breaks his heart. And I don't usually see our Heavenly Father with his heart crushed, but the Bible says that when he looked at Israel and they were committing these abominations, that their heart was crushed, that his heart was crushed. And the only way God can love us, the way we really need to be loved, is that he has to, he has to, he has to love us the way we are. And it crushes him when we do things in the dark. And I wonder sometimes when I think about doing things in the dark and hiding little things from God, I don't know what Israel thought, but I wonder if you and I think, well, you know what? Listen, God is big, amen? He's just big and and he's busy running the universe and he really doesn't care what I do. You know, he doesn't care about me. It's not gonna bother anyone. Have we heard this before? I'm not hurting anybody. I'm doing these things. The problem is it's not a salvation issue, my friend. It's a relationship issue. And now you're dry and you don't have that from God. And see, our goal here on Wednesday nights, guys, even now is to draw back into the presence of God so we feel him again. To have the Holy Spirit fall afresh on us like they did in the book of Acts. Can you imagine that? You see, it's not enough in 2024 for you and I just to come and go, "Ah, I went to church, bless the Lord, and we're singing, and we're clapping, and I want the Holy Spirit, and pray the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and moves us and brings us to repentance. We need, church, you and I, we need a greater, deeper relationship with the God that created us. Let me tell you why. Because the enemy is doing Everything he can works 24-7, 365 to get you away from that. He doesn't want you to have the power 
that you once had when you prayed. And that's what Israel was doing. But the second thing, if you're taking note, is that like Israel, we're prone to justify our sin based upon our circumstances. You guys with me? Why? Well, Israel said, well, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Translated, the Lord doesn't care. He doesn't see us. He's abandoned us. Now, I want you to feel the weight of what the elders were saying here. Because the Lord opened my eyes to this point. What's that? One reason the elders were worshiping idols in public and in private, if you will, in the dark, is because they felt like God didn't see him. God had abandoned him. God didn't care about them. So why should we care about God? And what really jumped out to me is that very verse that they talked about. Why? Because the elders are trying to justify their sin. They're trying to justify their worship of other gods by by that. And they're boldly sinning against God. But let me tell you what they're doing. They're blaming him. God, I'm going to worship this idol. I'm going to worship another God. I'm going to bring in another lover, if you will, spiritually speaking. And then when God calls us on the carpet, well, it's your fault, God. If you've been the God that you said you are, if you're all loving and all this, and we tend to justify that. And we often, we don't look, guys, at at what we're doing. And then we take it a step further. Stay with me, church. My question would be, why would these elders blame shift or justify their sin? And then, and so what happens is once they do that, they take it a step further. You go, what's that step? They have, come on, created a scenario in which God is the villain, even though they've been the ones that walked away from God. Oh, come on, that gets deep. That gets deep. Why? Because that's where a lot of people are when it comes to church today. That's where a lot of people we love are just... Well, if God would have showed up back here, then I would believe in him. Well, God didn't do this when I, when I needed him. And God this, and God that, and people in church, and God this. And they've created a scenario where God is the villain. And again, this is what they're doing. They're like, hey, hey. So how come you don't go to church? Well, you know, I used to go. I used to go regularly. And then, and then when I really needed God, I went through a really rough time when I needed God. Really? Because my Bible says that God never leaves me nor forsakes me. Oh, come on, somebody. And just because I don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean that he's abandoned us or forsaken us. It simply means I don't understand what he's doing at the time. But how many of us, church, can step back, look at our lives and go, oh, man, I didn't know God was there, but he was actually there. And he is guiding me and he was protecting me. And so again, I want to caution you. And I know, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's the Wednesday night group. These are people who are in love with Jesus. But be careful that we don't ever find ourselves justifying our sin and then blame shifting to God. Your mind should automatically go back to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord comes to Adam and Eve, right? Who does he get first? Adam. And what does Adam do? The woman! That was her. I mean, psh, look at her, Lord. You made her. And then she goes, Eve, did you do this? It was a snake. It was a snake. We all blame shift. Who were they blaming ultimately? God. 
You see, God, you created the snake. God, you created the woman. It's your fault, God. It's your fault. And I believe if we, we, we sort of do the same thing, we blame shift. And uh, in both cases, in both cases, Calvary, the Lord is asking us to repent. To repent. See, I want to show you that God stands with open arms and his desire is to have a deep relationship with you. To have a deep relation. He doesn't want to leave the temple and he doesn't want to leave us. He wants to walk with us. And so I believe in those two reasons. This is what's, what's going on. And so what happens? Uh, well, we left off last week in chapter 15 where the Lord says, um, basically, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? And uh, what is good with this vine where I planted you to be fruitful and yet you rebelled against me? We saw that. And then in, and then in Ezekiel chapter 15, 6, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You ready? The people of Jerusalem are like grapevines growing among the trees of the forest. Since they are useless, I have thrown them into the fire and burned. I've created you to be to, to bring fruit, and you're not. You're just basically vines. What do we do with vines? We're, we're gonna, he's going to throw them. He's gonna... Now, what we need to understand is this is harsh judgment. Why? Because he's not pruning them. He's putting them in the fire. Nobody gets pruned in the fire. They get burned. You guys with me? So we need to understand, and I think we do, that the Ezekiel is a book of judgment. But as we come to chapter 16, we discover that God is merciful in the midst of judgment. He looks at Israel and says, although you've done this, come on, can somebody testify? We've been there. Although you've done this, the Lord says, I still love you. I still love you. I still have a plan for your life. So if you're taking notes, remember that God tonight, he's going to break the, what, he's going to break the rhythm of what we talked about and he's going to stop, and he's going to tell them that he loves them and that he loves them. And I believe this is truly important for our lives today. You go, how so? Well, remember, whenever you're in the midst of crazy, difficult, uh, uh, chastising circumstances, life is a bummer, or you're actually being pruned and judged, you do need to know how much God loves you. You need to know that, even in the midst of that. See, it's easy to forget the love of the Lord when you're going through a time of chastisement or just a difficult time. It's easy to go, oh, he doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. But the love of the Lord transcends so much. And we have to grasp that. Why? Because we can go through the whole book of Ezekiel and walk out of here and feel really bummed. It's like, man, God, he's just, whew, and not realize that even in the midst, there's mercy. So that's where we're going to pick it up, guys. Ezekiel 16, 1 says, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, okay, son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Okay, your attention, please. The Lord is saying to Ezekiel, hey, make sure, make sure, make sure Israel knows. Make sure Israel knows she sins. Why is that important? Why? Why is it to make known to her the, the, her abominations? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes we're in judgment. We go, what did I do? What? I didn't... I didn't. It's so important that you and I grasp what the word of God is telling us. And you go, how so? Because you and I know that we sin. Amen? You go, we sin. That's harmatia. That's missing the mark. We've missed the mark. Every one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. 
And then there's a trespass. Do you know what a trespass is? A trespass is where, where you go, oh, I didn't realize this was a sin. I stepped over the line. I have trespassed. I've transgressed. I didn't realize it's a sin. Sorry, Lord. And I come back. We do that all the time. We didn't realize this was a sin. We figure out it's a sin. It's in God's word. That's a sin. That's a trespass. But then we move from a trespass into iniquity. Do you know what an iniquity is? Iniquity is where you see the line, you look up and down, you realize maybe God's not watching, you know it's a sin, you do it anyway. That's an iniquity. That's a heart issue. You see, I know we all miss the mark. We're born that way. We miss the mark. There are times that we stumble over, oh, it's a trespass. Sorry, Lord. But there are times in my life and there's times in your life that we look at the line, we know it's a sin, we know the consequences of a sin, we know that sin has put my Jesus on the cross... And you and I, in a selfish way, would step over and go, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. See, the elders are over here, and what are they doing? They're justifying it, aren't they? Well, God, you don't see anyway. You don't care if I'm over here. God's like, I see everything. I see everything. But even in the midst, wherever you are, he says, I, I love you. And so it's important. He says, hey, hey, listen, the word of the Lord came to you. Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. So it's important we know... So it's important we confess our sin. And verse 3, And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Okay? Now, what you need to know is the Lord is now talking. Here's what God the Father is saying. Quote, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in the water to cleanse you, nor, or you were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things, for you have to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. Now, again, this is deep. Why? Because he's talking about the nation of Israel. Now, again, he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he gives a detailed picture of really when God found them. He said, when I found you, and again, we want to remember that we're nothing, and this picture is not one we really want to dwell on. Why? Because he says, when you were born, Israel, you were an outcast. He said, as a matter of fact, no one cut your cord. Nobody took care of you. Nobody came in and, 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 and did any, nobody cleaned up. You know, you know, when a baby's born, it comes out all bloodied and everything. They said, you didn't clean it up. You didn't, this is Israel. As a matter of fact, he said, nobody pitied you. Nobody went, oh. He says, and you were sort of thrown out into the open field. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We would never do that to a baby today. We would never go, oh, oh you had a baby, nope. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. Now, just a quick reminder to us as a nation. You and I in the United States of America, we are only great because of the Lord and his blessings. And you know, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, we have shook our fist at God in abominations and idol worship and have blatantly asked other lovers, if you will, to come in. And I can see the parallel here as you can see that. But even more personal, and you guys need to grasp this, 
if God looks at Israel and says, this is who you are, right? Because Israel's a great nation. Israel's a great nation. Here's what I want you to see. Let us as a church, church ready, remain humble. Remain humble. There's no way that we in the body of Christ should walk around prideful. God, God, God loves us and he saves us because of who he is, not because we're something. Oh, we got to remember that. He's looking at this and here's the word of God going, Israel, this is nobody really cared for you. You are not a great nation. You weren't anything. Nobody pitied you, but I did. And that's where I go, wow. You see, when you and I were born, nobody said, oh, wow, he's going to be a great man of God for you, Lord. It was like, Lord. And so we must remain humble. And right here, the Lord says, Israel, nobody even pitied. Nobody loved you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But he turns around and he says, but Israel, I love you. I love you. Look at verse 6. And when I passed you by and I saw you struggling in your own blood, look at that. I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. That is just amazing. This is where God is coming in and he's, and he's telling the nation of Israel to live. This is where they are born. And you can imagine, here's this baby, this picture, picturesque, if you will, this baby just struggling and bloodied and unloved. And God says, no, 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 I love you. Watch this. He says, in your blood, live. Live. And you know what I wrote down here? Oh, the grace of God. Oh, the grace of God. Why? Because you and I, in our walks, let's be honest, in our, in, in our humanity, what do you really deserve? Tell me what you deserve. And yet, God says, no, 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 I know what you deserve, but I'm going to tell you, live, live. If we took a moment and really thought, what do I deserve? What do I really deserve? As a, as a, well, we're sinners, and you know what we deserve? We deserve eternity in hell apart from a God who loves us and is perfect. What we really deserve. Let's be honest. This is what keeps us humble. This is what keeps us humble. This is how you and I can love other people outside those doors. This is how you and I can, can minister to people outside those doors because we are humble. We know where we came from. We know that we're nothing special and that God, God loves us. And he's commanded us to live, to live. I think about this in the New Testament. It's 1 John chapter 5, 11, and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And it goes on in verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Where does life come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus. That's where we get our life. That's where we get our life. Think about this for a moment. Think about the, your, just for a second, your BC days before Christ came in and changed your life. You weren't living. You're actually dead. And then he comes in, and when we're born again, he says, man, live. Live. And that's what he's telling Israel. Verse 7, I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew and matured and became very beautiful. Notice what he's saying to Israel. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again, I looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you, covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into the covenant and you became mine. 
says the Lord God. This is a beautiful verse. Why? Think about what he had just pictured, and God says, okay, listen, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you my bride right here. You're my bride, and I'm going to raise you up. And I fell in love with you, and I married you. I married you. And I think, notice, notice here, the love of the Lord for Israel. This was somebody nobody wanted, nobody loved, and then God does something amazing. He falls madly in love with them. He takes care of them. He provides for them. And I thought, this is amazing. This is amazing. Why? Because you've got to grasp this, church. Even in the midst of judgment, what is God saying? God's going, I love you, Israel. I love you. I love you. I'm madly in love. Look, I, I covered you. You were grown and you're mine. And he does the same thing for you and I. He does the same thing for you and I. You know, we often use this commonplace and cliche, hey, God loves you. But if we understand the depth of that, God loves you. God really, really loves you. I don't know if you're having trouble sleeping at night. But let me say this to you. Put your head on the pillow tonight and just remember how much God really, really loves you. Really loves you. Why? Why would you say that, Pastor? Because he does the same things for us. Listen to what he does for us. We were somebody that nobody wanted. We were unloved, and yet God loved us very much. And what does he do? He takes care of us. He blesses us. He provides for us. He walks for us. He covers us. He does all these things for us. I know God loves us. I know God loves us. It's a beautiful picture of what he's doing to Israel and what he's, and what he's doing here to you and I. Well, it goes on in verse 9. He says, then I washed you in water. Check this out, guys. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. And then, man, that just jumped out at me. Why? Because remember, the word of God tells us that we're washed by the word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 tells us we're cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. There are things that, that will be cleansed, things in our minds. Come on, somebody. Things that, that deal with conduct, things that have to do with character, things that have to do with attitude. Listen to me. That are cleansed by the water, the word. The water here is symbolic to the referring to the word of God as well of the Holy Spirit. So we're washed by the word. We're washed by the word. Listen, if you're struggling in your mind, with, uh, with things that you, you think, um, stinking thinking, if you will, or maybe it's your character or your attitude or any of these things, and get in the Word. Let the Word wash you clean. That's what he's telling Israel. I washed you. Washed you. He says also, too, he's, he's going to what? Notice he said, I will anoint you with oil. In your minds, my Bible students, you realize the oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit. It's always been a representative. It's the, it's the oil, and oil is widely understood symbol of the Holy Spirit and does not require a detailed explanation. But one scripture will suffice to link the Holy Spirit and oil directly. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives, and recovery of the sight of the blind, and set liberty to those who are Oppressed. That's the word that comes out when it's the oil. 
the spirit of the Lord and the oil of the anointing are directly linked, church. The oil of the anointing stands as a physical representation of Jesus being given to the spirit to perform these functions of you and I as service to him, the Holy Spirit. And, and it just jumped out there, right? And it's just like, wow. He says, man, look, Israel, I, I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. And if you're taking note, here's what you need to know. Jot this down. God gave them everything. God gave them everything. He's cleaned them up. How so? Well, look at verse 10. He says, I clothed you in an embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ear, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus, you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was with fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Man, look at what he just said. Look at what God, he gives you everything, man. He says, Israel, here's what I've done. Now, you've got to understand why this crushes the heart of God. He's just loving Israel. It's a before the siege. It's like, Israel, I, I clothed you. I gave you everything. You don't understand. And, 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 and so Israel's looking at him. Now, oh my goodness, this is so deep. Because he says, he says man, I've given you, I've, I've adorned you. I've crowned you. You're royalty. You're beautiful. And you know what they say? Nah. Nah. Whatever, God. Whatever. I'm going to go after another lover. I'm going to find someone who's, who's going to satisfy my flesh. And, 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 and here's the thing. This is for Israel. But believers, listen to me. This is what happens to us when we walk away from the God who loves us. We can find ourselves, he's given us everything. He's given us life and godliness, and he's given us peace and joy. He's given us all the attributes he talks about, right? He's given us all of these things. The fruit of the Spirit, man, just bubbling up. And we at times, come on, don't leave me hanging. We at times, man, will worship other things. But I also realize that God says, listen, Israel, I made you royalty. I made you royalty. And you know what? That really happens to us when we get saved. Do you want to know who you are in Christ? You're royalty. Why? Because you become a son, you become a daughter of the king, and that means you have royal lineage. You're royalty. You're royalty. And he's just that good to us. He's that good to us. Well, back to Israel, he says, your fame Israel, your fame went out among the nations. Everybody's like, Israel, wow, because of your beauty. Well, where'd they get their beauty from? The Lord. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord. You, were, you became really popular. You were beautiful because of what I did, the Lord says. This is how much I love you. Now, let me put it in perspective. Let me put it in perspective. Can you imagine? It's like you get married and you're loving and you're kind, and you're attentive, you're a provider, you're best friends, all is well until one of you somehow decides to bring another lover 
even though you've had everything you could ever imagine. You said, that's not going to fly in my house. That's not going to fly in my house. It doesn't matter who it is. That's not going to fly in my house. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, maybe we've been married just a few years, others seven or eight years, others 10 or 15. Others, like myself, have been married 36 years, and many more of you older than that. But here's the point. It's not going to fly in your house. If your husband came home or your wife came home and said, hey, listen, I know you've been a great provider. I know you've been a wonderful friend. I know we're best friends. I know we have such a blast together when we go on vacation. I know we've done life together, and I love you deeply, but there's this other guy. (laughs) No. No. That's That's what Israel's doing to God. Well, what do they do? Verse 15, he says, but you trusted in your own beauty. You played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing who would have it. I don't know about you, but this is a sad, 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 sad verse. Why? He says, because you trusted not in me or my love for you. You trusted in your own beauty. And what did you do? You gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. Wow, that's heavy. God loved him so much, that's heavy. But, but pay attention because it's going to get really dark, okay? It's going to get really dark. Look at, look at verse 16. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolor high places for yourself, and you played the harnet on them. Such things should not happen nor be. Now, I want to chat right here for just a moment. Think about you and me. When we worship other gods or we have any other idols above our King Jesus, we can be just like Israel. Let me give it to you this way. He says, you use some of your clothing to decorate your places of worship, just like a prostitute. Everything I gave you, you took and, you're, and you gave yourself to everyone. To everyone. Now again, church, listen to me. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Wednesday night. But when we talk about this in a big, broad brush, and we're talking about Israel, but we're talking about the church, I wonder if the church today has no power because they have been prostituting themselves We know that churches, and I use that with a big broad brush, we know there are churches that bring in abominations to the Lord. We know that. We know in America here, guys, that, that listen, there's, there, I mean, I understand, and I am not complaining at all. There are some really dynamic, good speakers. There's some really good pastors. But the problem is, is now they're bringing in a lot of the world to keep the, the, the megachurch mentality. And they're, they're getting away from God's word. There's a lot of churches, and we grew up with them. We grew up with the churches that were, were fleecing the sheep and, and, and wanting to buy this and needing millions of dollars. And, and, and you have pastors that just make me sick because 
they're the, they're the most richest people in all of their state, and they believe this is how God said, and it's like, really? And the problem is, is that you had well-intentioned sheep give their money thinking. This is what they're doing. They took the, the blessings that God had given them, guys, and they prostituted themselves. As a matter of fact, Joe Harris sent me a, uh, a reel the other day, and it was, I'm not kidding you, the worship time, and, and again, let's take this with a grain of salt because I was not there, and I don't want to, but he, he sent me a clip, and, and the worship time was, um, I've got friends in low places. You remember that song? Uh, who sings that? Garth Brooks, yeah. So that was part of Up There. And then, the, and, and, <laughs> And the next thing is, is Miley Cyrus, there was a referee coming. And this is on stage. He came in like a wrecking ball. And here's this referee coming through. And, and I'm just like, this isn't church. I don't know what church. This isn't church. I get it. People can do clips and make it look whatever. But, but then, because it was Super Bowl, they had one actually kick the Bible through the field goal, through the goalpost. Just, <laughs> I have to tell Joe, man, he... This is exactly what we're doing. This is exactly what we're doing. Now, listen, I'm all for, listen, hey, we, we just, we love each other, and we have, but, but when it comes to this pulpit behind this, this is holy ground, and we need to teach the Bible. I will not stand before a holy God and go, oh, well, listen, Lord, I was, I was tired of, of the few that I had, and so I really compromised so I could have more. I can't do it. I can't do it. Plus, he's going he's gonna to talk to the shepherds later on, too. So we'll, we're going to see that. Verse 17. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I've given you, and made yourself, what, male images who played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments, covered them, and you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour, oil, and honey, which I fed you, you set before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord. You can imagine why the Lord's heart is crushed. You can imagine why the Lord's heart is crushed. You're giving everything that I've provided for you. You're giving to somebody else. Oh, yeah, my boo went out and he got us dinner, but I'm not going to feed him. I'm going to feed. I mean, it's like, are you serious? And, and, and like, if that wasn't enough, guys, it gets worse. It gets worse, but let me preface by saying what James tells us. James in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we've talked about this, but James writes, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. This is what James tells us. James says, listen, it starts off like this little tiny sin, and you're like, oh, look at it, just born, it's so cute. It says it grows, and it grows up to be a teenager, and then a, or a preteen, then a teenager, and then it finally gets big enough to kill you. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. How so? Well, look, it's going to bring forth that. First of all, I mean, 20, look at 20. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. 
Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? That you have slain my children and offered them up by what? Causing them to pass through the fire. If you're an underliner, underline that. Why? How do you control population in that day? Well, people call it a choice, but it's called abortion. Listen, here's what they would do, and this is what God's talking about. They would offer unwanted children to the god Molech, to the god Molech. That's what it means when it's passing through the fire, okay? When Israel became, when they started to commit all kinds of adultery, spiritual adultery, they became very loose. They became very, um, all of this stuff, right? They just became, they became sexual. And what do you do with all these unwanted babies? Well, they would offer it to the God of Molech. Now, look at me. Molech was a very interesting thing. It was, uh, it was this, this God that was built outside of Jerusalem. It was an idol. Check this out. With the face of a calf. Why a calf? Because we know the cherubim had the face of the calf, had the face of the eagle. But Satan is such a great imitator. And you go, okay. And look at me. It had hands that were opened like this. And it was this giant thing where you could heat it up. And it had this big giant belly in here like this. And what you would do is you take the baby and you'd put it, first and foremost, you'd offer it to Moloch and you'd put it on the hands. At the same time, you would, there'd be these loud drums and these loud chanting so you wouldn't hear the babies cry. And then, when, if that wasn't enough, here's what you did. You got this and you took the baby and you offered it in the belly and it just burned alive. This is what he says. This is, this is, what, this is what sin does. You see, it wasn't enough to go, hey, we're playing the harlot. They were taking the offspring, and they're going, this is what we're going to do. And today, we see the same thing, don't we? Oh, but we don't need drums and, 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 and hollering and hooping, do we? Because inside the mama's belly, you can't hear the cries of the baby. You know where we stand on this. You know where we stand as a church. This is what's happening. Sin, when it's full born, will, will bring forth death. I read an article that said, you know why the men were hooping and hollering and a lot of drums? So that the men wouldn't change their mind once they put the baby on the arms of the altar of Molech. Well, it continues on because they're going to build shrines. It says... And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked, bare, struggling in your blood. Isn't that important for us, guys? Israel would not remember how important it is that we remember where we came from. Lord, you saved us. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm, we need to be humble. Then it was so after verse 23, after your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord that you built for yourself a shrine and made a high place in every street. You built yourself high places, the head of every road, and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians. 
your very fleshly neighbors and increased your acts, notice, of harlotry to provoke me. You guys can underline that verse. Why? Because that's exactly what we're doing today. We're provoking the Lord in harlotry. We're provoking him. It's not enough that we've asked the Lord to leave our churches. We're actually provoking him by the things we're doing in the church. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you, diminished your allotment, and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. Verse 28, you also played the harlot with the Assyrians. So not only the Egyptians, but the Assyrians, because you were insatiable. Do you guys see that? Insatiable. You know what that word means, guys? Impossible to satisfy. You have this appetite. Oh, I got it. Man, I got to have it. It's like when you have a great, you find great food somewhere. It's like great food. It's like, oh, this is good. This is good. It's like, man, you want to eat that every day. It's like, this is them in the flesh. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of what? Harlotry. As far as the land of the trader, the Chaldee, even then you were not, what's that word, guys? Satisfied. Satisfied. Now, let me just point this out. You ready? Um, You can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. But let me tell you this. The flesh is never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. It will never satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy. Last week, I had an opportunity to go. You guys know this. I was teaching in Estancia, but I wanted to go to um, take my mother-in-law um, I wanted to take her and visit her her brother who's on hospice um, about about an hour and a half away. And and uh, Nathalie was going to go with me at the very last minute. And I'm talking the last few seconds. She's, she couldn't go. She was really needed here and so forth. But but what happened is that my best friend lives there. And so, um, hey, hey, bro, I'm coming into town. You want to grab dinner? Hadn't seen you. Let's catch up. He's like, yeah, let's catch up. Hey, there's this really great, and, and they call it a sports bar, but... There's a place where you can watch TV and get wings. It's kind of like a wild buffalo wings. And he says, it's called the boxcar. Why don't you come? Ah, oh, that's a great idea. And they made these wonderful, I don't know, uh, Eva, these red chili barbecue wings. They're so good. Oh, oh, that's not the point of the story. But man, they were good. They were good. So we went up there, right? And of course, there, there is a bar. There's a, we're sitting on the table. We're watching uh, basketball, and we're we're talking, we're eating wings, and, and I start seeing a lot of young people start coming in, a lot of young people. And over the course of the night, after we ate our wings, and then had dinner, and then had a dessert, the Lord kind of spoke to me about the young people. They're not satisfied. That going out and that like, you know, drinking at the bar and and mingling and all this stuff, it's like, I looked at my friend, I said, what do you you think they're looking for? What, What do you? Because again, guys, the flesh never satisfies. And you know what he spoke? I told him, I told my friend this as we walked out. He said, you know what? That's why only Jesus satisfies. 
You can go to a place and watch a basketball game and you could eat red chili barbecue wings. Mm. And you can drink root beer. And you can have a blast because you're already satisfied in Jesus. Mm. Look at verse 30 with me. I never want to hear the Lord say this to us, guys. How degenerate is your heart? Seeing that you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. Now, you guys got to circle this word, okay? The Lord asked the question, how degenerate is your heart, right? In, in other words, he's saying, what a sick heart you have. What a sick heart. But he says something here that, uh, that jumped out. Notice the word brazen. Circle that word for brazen because it's bold without shame. It's bold without shame. So he's going, listen, how degenerate is your heart? How low do you have to go that you would do these things? And he says, and you're acting like a shameless prostitute. You're acting like, and I thought of this and I said, man, this really sounds like a lot like America today. We're not a, we're not a shameless in our rejection of God. People will stand up right off the bat. Joseph Harris sent me another reel. It was Pastor Jack Hibbs, he doesn't, he's, anyway, it was Pastor Jack Hibbs who was praying in Congress, and he prayed in Jesus' name, and the caption was, the Democrats don't like in Jesus' name. Well, a lot of people don't like Jesus' name. It's not only Democrats. It's those that are not saved. And, and let me say this, ready? And even some who think they are saved. Hey, don't mention that, Jesus. Listen. You be you. Hey, I know you're a believer. No. There's, no. there's no shame anymore. You remember that people used to sort of hide? They used to hide, you know, their, their sin. They used to sort of... Now, now they don't hide anymore. Guys, think about... Look, notice. Notice. What a sick heart you have. You're acting like what? A shameless prostitute. You guys remember the Super Bowl. I don't have to tell you that. There was one making signs, upside down, whatever, you know, very, very blatant anti-God. Very blatant. No shame. We're, we're, oh, we've fallen so far, haven't we? You erected your shrine at the head at the head of every road and built your high place on every street. You were, like, you were not like the harlot because of your scorned payment. You were an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men make payment to all harlots, notice, but you made your payments to all your lovers and you hired them to come from all around in your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot in that you gave payment, but no payment was given to you. Therefore, you are opposite. In other words, you're worse than a prostitute. Wait, well, at least they get paid. He says, you "You Israel, you went looking for it, and when you found it, you actually what? You didn't charge, you paid them. How crazy is that? It often reminds me of the book of Hosea. We got to keep going. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, because of your filthiness was poured out on your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave them, surely therefore I will gather all your lovers 
in whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated, and I will gather them from all around against you, and I will uncover your nakedness to them, and they will see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as woman and break wedlock or shed blood are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. Really quickly, guys, it says, the nations you committed adultery with, he says, they're all going to turn on you. They're all going to turn on you. They're going to attack you and leave you destitute. Israel, without my protection, this is what they're going to do. Verse 40, And they shall bring up an assembly against you, and you shall stone you with stones and thrust you through their swords. And they shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. And I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. And so I will lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and angry no more. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but you agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God. And you shall not commit commit lewdness in addition to all your abomination. And here we see, you know what he's saying? God is going to deal with it. He says, listen, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to take care of it once and for all. Remember, remember. When Israel came back into the land, even from the beginning, 70 years later, all the way up into 1948, they never worshipped idols like they did before. They never worshipped the god of Molech or Ashtoreth. Now, again, you guys know that they they, they worship money and sex and all that. I mean, I think everybody does that in that sense. But here's what the Lord said. He says, Lord, I'm going to deal with it. and And that, well, here's my point. Whatever you might be struggling with today, I say give it to the Lord to deal with it. And I pray that it would never bother you again. Let the Lord have it. Says, Lord, deal with this. Take care of it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Verse 44. Indeed, anyone who quotes a proverb will use this proverb against you. Uh-oh. Like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing your husband and children, and your sister of sisters who loathe their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite. Your father was an Amorite. Your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who dwells to the south, is Sodom and her daughters. Now, he's comparing the northern tribes and the southern tribes, guys, right here. He says, you did not walk in their ways according to their abominations, but as if it were too little, you became more corrupt than all your ways. As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom Sodom nor her daughters have done as you have done, your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. What was it? She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So now he's referencing Sodom. You guys remember Sodom. Two things happening right here. God says, Israel, you're worse than Sodom. You guys remember what happened to Sodom, right? He said, wow, wow. But one of the things that jumped out, it sounds like us today, doesn't it? It sounds like the United States. And you go, Ben, well, what was their, what was their iniquity? What was it? It was really simple. He says it in the text. It was pride. You guys see that? He says, he said, there was, her daughter had pride. 
And pride is usually where all sin starts. How so? Well, think about that, man. We could spend hours talking about pride, and we know that the Bible says that pride cometh before the fall, and so we know that pride was the essence, but the downfall of Sodom was more than homosexuality. It was pride. It was riches. It was freedom, and it was selfishness. And very well, this is man's downfall today. Samaria, verse 51, did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they. They have justified your sisters by all the abominations you've done. You who judge your sisters, bear your own shame also, because the sins of you that committed were more abominable than theirs. They are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also. Bear your own shame, because you justified your sisters. When I bring back their captives... And their captives of Sodom and their daughters and their captives of Samaria and her daughters. Then I will bring back the captives of your captivity among them, that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them. When your sisters, Sodom and her daughters, return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters return to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. For your sister Sodom was not a byword in the mouth in the days of your pride. You go, Ben, when did all this happen? When did God bring Samaria back? And here's the point. He didn't. He didn't. And that's the point to Israel. Israel, you're not going to come back. I'm not going to bring you back. You're going to be, you're going to be, there's judgment going to happen to you for 70 years. Verse 57. Before your wickedness was uncovered, it was a time of reproach of the daughters of Syria and all those around her and the daughters of the Philistines who despise you everywhere. You have paid for your lewdness and your abomination, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done who despise the oath of the breaking of the covenant. Now, what God is doing, in, 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 and you've got to grasp this, guys, in chapter 16 is he says, I love you guys, and I love you, and I love you so much, but you need to understand what you've done. You need to understand, and he lays out this, and it's like, wow, wow, and here's the deal, here's the deal. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you, you go buy a diamond ring, and the very first thing is they put out a black velvet so the ring shines, so he's, he's putting out the blackness. And here's the point, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till, sin, till you look at this in Israel and you go, oh my, oh my, then Christ will not be sweet. And yet, in the midst of judgment, we still find grace and mercy. Last verses, 60. Nevertheless, don't you guys just love that word? He just painted this back. Nevertheless, thank you, Lord, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish you an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provided you an atonement for all that I have done, says the Lord. I love this verse. Why? Because in other words, he says, Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you when you were young. Do you remember that? He says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish an everlasting covenant. 
So God says, listen, here's, here's the dirt. Here's the dirt of it. He says, but I love you. Even today, you need to jot this down. God fights for Israel. God fights for Israel. Think about what he's saying. Think about what he's saying. Then you will remember, he says, you will remember the shame of your evil, have all the evil you have done. He says, I'll make your sisters, and he's going to talk about Samaria and Sodom, and your daughters, and even though they're not part of our covenant, he says, I'm going to reaffirm my covenant with you, and you will know I am the Lord. You will remember your sins and cover your mouth. Exactly. Lord, forgive us. But notice he says, when I forgive you all that I have done, I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. You see that? God goes, no matter what, there's grace and forgiveness. So Ben, why, why, does, why does God spend all of chapter 16 just, just, just bringing out the sin? Because again, till sin be bitter, till all of the stuff that we realize that who we are, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter and you realize all of the things that Israel has done, there's always that possibility to pull you back into the world. But when you realize this and you realize the beautiful covenant that God has made through Jesus Christ, then you and I stand here forever. And we go, no, 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 I don't ever want a part of that. I don't ever want a part. I'm not going to commit spiritual. I'm not going to worship anything other than the Lord Jesus. Amen? That's chapter 16. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. We love you so much, Lord. Lord, 63 verses and you just poured it out there. And so, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able just to read it and talk about it. Lord, you have brought conviction. And the one thing that comes to mind, God, I don't want to, I don't want to teach anymore, but in my prayer, if there's anyone here tonight that is, that's struggling um, with, with worshiping idols or struggling with just something, God, maybe the world, that, Lord, that they would tonight just say, God, deal with it. Deal with it. I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you, God. Take it away. Lord, may our church always have open welcome to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May your Holy Spirit feel at welcome here. Forgive us, O Lord, of our sins. And, Lord, just fall afresh upon us, God, tonight. Father, we have, to, we, we have to do some work with you, and so we love you. We thank you. Father, you're asking us to repent, to confess our sins. If anyone here needs to do that, I pray. I pray you do that with the Lord. And just pray, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I turn from that, Lord. Come in and deal with that. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like Let's we hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.